You're listening to the Non-Tech Founders Podcast. Fortnightly conversations about running a business as a non-technical founder. I'm Laura. And I'm Nathan. Join us as we navigate the developer-dominated world of entrepreneurship, bootstrapping, and beyond. In today's episode, we're going to talk about finding product market fit as a solo non-tech founder, as early and with as little risk as possible. But to start, let's just define what product market fit is and then I think we'll move on to the challenges since I know this is something that you Nathan have been wrestling with a lot lately so mm-hmm. how would you define product market fit I think and we won't get into does product market fit exist <laughs> I was just listening to a podcast about this the other week um, for me I think product market fit is essentially when you've created a product a service whatever that might be and that you have enough people willing to pay for that service or product uh, on an ongoing basis and that they're happy with the results and that you can continue to find more of those same people who want that same problem solved. For me, it's something as simple as that. I don't think it needs to um, kind of get any more complex. Yeah, because I actually Googled it before the call. Actually, I asked ChatGPT because I feel like it should be more complicated than it is. Like I'm like product market fit. It's do you have a product and a market and do those two fit together? Like, and <laughs> it turns out it is that simple. That is exactly is that simple, what yeah. product market fit is. Um, but simple doesn't mean easy, easy. as we've no. <laughs> kind of figured out. And I was thinking about this for client portal. I was like, do I have product market fit? And I think, yes, uh, not, not intentionally though. So client portal, um, solves a problem. So there was a, you know, gap between having nothing, uh, deliverables scattered everywhere, and the kind of overcomplicated sort of base camp style project management system. There was like nothing in the middle for freelancers and agencies. And I had that problem. Turns out a lot of other freelancers and agencies have that problem and they were willing to pay for it, which is why Client Portal is still going now, like however many years later. Um, But I didn't set out thinking, does this have product market fit? It just kind of happened for me naturally which is really nice um but you've kind of gone down the a different route and actually i would say a more wise route where you started out trying to answer that question whether it was on purpose or not because you know i was looking at how do you determine product market fit and there's basically three steps step one you do market research. So you have an idea, you go to who you think would be interested and you find out if this is a problem that they have and whether they need it solving. Then the next thing is you build an MVP. So a minimum buyer, I can't say it product and um, test it that way. And then you look for traction and you go from there. And that's the, that's the exact steps that you've taken. Was that on Mm purpose like were you thinking i need to do these steps to get product market fit it was definitely on purpose because for me my first experience with building a a business or a SaaS, um in this case was noosey and much like yours that experience was far more it was very organic you know it was like oh you know this is a problem i have Uh, i wonder if other freelancers have it as well and turns out they did and then that expanded from freelancers to agencies and it just kind of grew organically i mean obviously i was doing everything i could 
once I realized, oh, people actually want this, to then try and grow that. But um, this time round, I was I was far more methodical. I knew that I couldn't just decide on a way. Am I going to try you know something and let's just see if it works? I wanted to put the time in. I wanted to do the research. I did a lot of customer development interviews, spent a lot of time umping and ahhing about whether enough people had the same problem, similar problem. Um, and then I knew that from there, I wanted to go from some prototypes to an MVP and then da, 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 get it out there and live and, and um, you know, try and go from there. And so I was very, I was very aware that I was doing it very differently this time because I, I think I was more um, averse to any potential, you know, failings or loss. I didn't want to lose the money I was investing, you know. And sadly and ironically, <laughs> the first way I did it with Nusi, which was the you know, what the hell, let's just try something in the organic way worked out far better and far easier. Cause right now I'm at this place where, you know, I look back over, cause while, while the MVP was only finished maybe a couple of months ago, you know, when I actually started this, because it has been so methodical, it was over a year ago. So I can look back on that whole year and, 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 and think, okay, so right now I don't have traction. Whereabouts in that did I, did I mess up? What well, what went wrong? Um, and that's kind of where I am now. So, do you see it as so, okay? So you've done you did the market research that went well. You defined that people have a problem and that you can solve it. You did the MVP that went well. And so, are you saying that now you're on step three, which is gaining traction? And what's happened? Yeah, I am on stage three, but I messed up earlier on in the stages. You see, and this is why I'm having problems now. Because really, I shouldn't be in stage three. I shouldn't be in the traction uh, area. I should have done things differently or, or found out earlier my sort of misgivings or sort of or failures along the way. Because if I look back uh, at the market research, I did the best I could. You know, I, I followed all the guidelines with regards to the initial spark, the initial idea, finding there was a problem with one product manager I'd spoken to, and then getting together as many product managers as I could, uh, talking to them personally, running polls. Now, I think the first sort of round of customer development I did, actually did quite a good job. And I think I found that there was indeed a problem that they were all suffering from with regards to um, stakeholder feedback within the design process. And so because I heard that same feedback in every single interview I did, I think there was one interview I didn't hear that same feedback in. And I did a lot. I did a lot. Uh, most, uh, there were a lot of them were done uh, via Zoom. Some of them were done via chat. Uh, and I also did a lot of work with polls as well, running polls. The problem came then really was that I found out everyone had the same problem, but I didn't find, I didn't dig into the extent of this problem. Like how much of a problem was it? I just heard, yeah, we have a problem. And to me, that's it. <laughs> if somebody says I have a problem with a design process, with you know a business process, to me that said, okay, we need a solution. And I think that was the very first place I kind of I tripped up. I should have gone, I should have gone deeper on that. So how would you have so if you could go back in time now, how would you have gone deeper? What did you do? Did you say, okay, they've got a problem, I'm gonna go away and build a solution? Did you tell them what your solution was and ask them, hey, would you buy this? What did you do? And also, what would you do differently? Because I suppose what I can't work out is that I would absolutely think the same thing as you. If I were to build another business and I would go down the market research route and everyone told me the same problem, I'd think, great, 
I've I'm onto something. You know, it's it's business to business. It's B two B, so that B two B is a lot easier to sell for. Presumably, they'd be willing to spend money on it. I would have absolutely had the same thoughts as you. But what I suppose you're saying is, is you've built the MVP, and actually, people don't want the problem solved or don't see it as yeah. worth it. Like, what I, what could you have even done differently? On that first round of custom development interviews, like I said, I got that initial piece of information that everyone said we have a problem with this. What I should have done then is gone back um, to those same people and dug a little bit more into that problem. I should have, you know, I should have, I mean, I don't know exactly how I would have done this or what I would have done differently then. But looking back now, I know that I should have gone into that problem and said, okay, basically the question is, is this a problem worth solving? Is a problem for you? How are you solving it right now? I knew how they were solving it right then. Um, I knew there were a lot of workarounds, you know, uh, as we all do in product teams, design teams, designers, you know, sharing maybe from whatever the design software there is to maybe to Slack and getting feedback in there, or maybe even via email or Trello, or you know, all these systems that people have in place, or even just using Figma directly. But so while it was a problem, I didn't dig into how big of a problem this was and whether they were actually willing to or wanting to find a solution to this. So that was mistake one. But then the second mistake was really that, so I, I had this I had this prototype built in, uh, in Figma and right from the very start, I was kind of showing it to people who were very close to me in product manager circles, but I didn't actually show it to people who I was interviewing and, and getting, you know, these, this information from until really until too late. And I basically, I was just giving them hints at what I was maybe doing, maybe thinking about. They might give me some feedback on it. But again, I still did, I, I still presumed that that was enough to move on to code and to invest all the money I had basically at the time into building this. I should have just gone back with a finished prototype in Figma to these same people as I did with it with with a coded solution. I should have forgotten about the code as everyone tells you to forgotten about the coded solution and just gone and done the same second round, third round of interviews and testing with this Figma prototype and said, you know, is this something that your company or that you would be willing to pay for, that this will be valuable enough? Because it wasn't until, because I, I kind of sidestepped that prototype because I would get good feedback on the few people I did show it, or on the people I did show it to, but it was all very well, actually, I think maybe it should do this or maybe it'd be easier for it to do that. It wasn't feedback in the respect that, well, actually, do you know what? It's not really that useful. It's not actually really, it was more specific as opposed to, you know, I don't need this. I don't want this. So essentially, I think the second round of interviews I did, which should have been then with this prototype, I also, and this was my biggest mistake, I think, well, second to only thinking that a problem means they need a solution. I uh, uh, unconsciously rather pushed people, you know, obviously you're never supposed to guide a customer development interview and which I didn't in the first batch, but because I felt I was on the right path in this, by the time I got to the second batch of interviews um, and I knew that everyone had the same problem and I knew that I had a prototype and I knew that I already had some code turned on its way. I was, I was guiding people towards basically what I was doing and how I was going to solve it. You know, and looking back, I can see that. At the time, I kind of convinced myself that, well, you know, it's kind of okay because they have said they have this problem and, you know, they have seen maybe some of the prototypes. And so I just convinced myself and it was, you know, looking back, it, it's gutting to realize that I did that. Yeah. And it's so easy to guide a conversation. It really yeah. is. It's, it's difficult because as a, 
as someone who is being interviewed, it's very easy for them to say, yep, this is a problem. Yep, that sounds great. And, you know, you're sort of thinking, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings by saying, actually, I mean, yeah, okay, it looks good, but I'm not going to buy it. Like, it's really hard for people to say that. So I don't do an awful lot of customer interviews or customer development, but I feel like that's something that is a skill to learn is to, well, first off, hold back and not guide the conversation because it's natural to do that and to it's so easy to put words and thoughts in into people's heads but also to be able to read between the lines and see what people are really saying what they're really thinking and get that out is just so I feel like that is a skill that you need to learn so what happened when you did go back to them so presumably you built the MVP and then you went back to them and said hey it's ready do you want to Mm -hmm. sign up what happened then <laughs> what happened then uh crickets is what happened so once you know i've been e- i've been emailing my list the whole time and it was a, it was a tiny list but i've been emailing them the whole time i you know during this whole time as well i'd also been doing the kind of hashtag build in public thing but uh, another thing that i realized as well looking back was that while you know you can do the build in public thing but there are two very different sides of building public there is the building public as in you know this is a, a new screenshot that i've just you know designed or something and there is one where you are actually trying to engage people and, and get some kind of feedback on what you're doing uh, and i realized i was far more in the first group you know which is kind of more content marketing but yeah so when i finally said to my list it's going to be ready who wants to come in and and try it out and test it out nobody wanted to even try it like not for free no you know obviously i was, wasn't at the point of charging or anything it's like who wants to come in who wants to come and help out uh, and try this and nobody did I emailed people personally as well from the list. And even then I didn't get any responses. It wasn't like, no, no, I, I realized that it's not really. It was just like, you know, it literally was crickets. So when I then took it to the product managers, because I, I did have a uh, a small group of product managers who I kind of met through this process and, and, would be, and were very generous with their time and their feedback. And so while they had given me feedback on all these different aspects of how it might work, you know, the feedback they never gave me was, this is actually not that valuable to us, you know. So when I took it finally to all of these people uh, and said, you know, would you like to try it out with your teams and, and get it on board? They kind of said, yeah, well, I'll check with the design team or I'll check with, you know, the director of uh, product or, you know, whatever. And, and kind of the argument was the ones that deferred it to the, to the, the, to the design team were, was, well, we just do this in Figma anyway. And it's not a problem to, you know, copy paste the images into into Slack or whatever, or into um, one of the product uh, project management software tools that they use. This was very common as well. Even even though they used Figma, they would still paste the images into uh, their their project management software. And as I kind of dug dug deeper into this and spoke to more and more people, and I I continued I continue to run more polls on LinkedIn, which have been very helpful actually. The overwhelming feedback was just, yeah. It is, it is a problem, but it's just, it's not one that we're, you know, I'm bothered about fixing. You know, we've, it's been such a problem for such a long time that everyone has their workarounds, but it's not a big enough of a problem. You know, they're quite happy to ask the designer to copy paste or give them a, um, you know, a folder full of all the images and they'll take them into PowerPoint or they'll take them into their product management software, project management software and all of that stuff. So it was just like, yeah, I, I don't know why it took me that long to get to that final final point for me finally to be able to hear from people um 
yep, it is a problem. So well done, you were right, but it's just not big enough for us to worry about. Yeah, and the, and the other thing I did hear as well was not so much, but the fact that the people who were really going to benefit from this were in larger organizations, like smaller design teams weren't going to be, you know, they weren't going to experience so much of a benefit. And the thing with larger organizations is that they're really sucked in to the processes and the software they use. And a lot of times these multi-million, billion dollar uh, businesses are all using free software. They're all using Microsoft. They're, they're all using, you know, and they're quite happy to stay in that little presentation mode in in PowerPoint or whatever. And, and, you know, they have their business accounts and stuff. So it's just like, yeah, that's not really going to move. I mean, I spoke to one guy who helped me throughout the entire process who worked as a product, senior product manager at uh, not Paramount, but one of the major uh, media companies in the US. And he said, they just don't pay for software. Like we don't pay for software at all. And we, you know, we're talking about household names here. So that, that was kind of the second thing as well. It's like, yeah, you've, you've got to find, you've got to be able to get in there as well as just having a product that is valuable enough to want to pay for. Yeah. It's like, you've got to have a, you've got to solve a problem, but the problem has to be valuable or painful enough for people to actively pay to get it solved but also you've got to be targeting people who are able to pay and as much as you might think like bigger companies are going to be more able to pay because they've got the budgets well you're not going to be talking to the decision makers you know like you're not going to be talking to the people at the top like how could you be you'd be talking to an employee who doesn't really have any decision making capabilities and for a big company to use a new bit of software like that's that would I imagine that would be very costly for them to do in terms of employee training and getting it into their like, you know, SOPs and all that kind of stuff. I imagine these corporate companies have. So they're not going to, they're going to be less likely to use a new software, especially one that is in MVP kind of stage. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you've got to pick your, you've got to pick a problem. It has to be a painful and valuable problem. And you have to think about your target audience. And I, I've seen this a lot with um, people choosing teachers as a good uh, target market for a problem because teachers have a lot of problems, a lot of problems. And their problems are actually quite easily solved with things like software. And so they think, cool, I've got a problem. I talk to teachers. They are really frustrated with this problem and they really want to solve it. So I'm going to build this software product for them. But the thing is, teachers don't have like a budget for them to just be able to buy software. If they bought it, it would be out of their own money. So Mm. they don't like teachers don't want it. I mean, a lot of teachers do actually buy things for their classrooms out of their own money, which is totally wrong. But they do it because, you know, they care, but they're not going to be able to fork out for software out of their own money. They're not going to be able to get it from the um, from the school. So I see so many people target teachers because like it's like two out of three are there like it's a problem and it's a painful problem but they're just the wrong target market like it's not mm-hmm. a good one to do and in in the same way as you know software for like bigger companies it's it's something i would shy away from because it would be difficult i think where i've seen it work is if it's more like the whole software as a service as a service thing so you're like you've built something but you're also kind of a consultancy and you manage it for them if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I've I've, th- I've got a few examples. I can't think off the top of my head, um, but 
the people who do that really well, but the company isn't buying the software and getting their team to use it. They're kind of buying the software and your services. And then yeah, it yeah. kind of works that way, which is something that a lot of people don't want to do because, you well, know, that's it's like... an awesome way to do it. It's an awesome way to get past all this. It's an awesome way to get past everything I've messed up because you, you, you know that that problem and that need is there and that people are willing to work, pay for it. And I think a lot of agencies traditionally have gone from that agency to that SaaS model using, as you said, that exact same, they've basically just turned their service into a software um, yeah. with them continuing to work behind in some cases. Yeah. But I think another problem as well of that is how aware the market is of the, of the problem, because if it's not a big enough problem, then again, typically they're not aware that they have a problem. You know, it's just, uh, this is the way I work. You know, I use these workarounds so therefore, you know, I'm not even aware of the fact that I have a problem. It's just the way it is. It's just the way we work. And a big thing with that is because a couple of people have said to me, actually, a couple of people who I respect and are high up, should we say, in the world of SaaS, have said, you know, you can actually still make this work, but it could potentially take a really long time because people aren't aware that they have this problem necessarily, or it's not necessarily a big enough problem. You can make them aware, you can teach them, you can educate them, but it could take you a very, very long time. And that could actually take a lot of money as well. So I think you can make it work regardless of whether it's not a big hit straight from the, straight from the get-go. And there's actually, um, the pro I think part of the problem was with this is that because it's not um, design software and it's not sort of presentation software, it's like in between categories, you know, stakeholder feedback. Um, is not really a category in itself. If you went bigger than that, it would be project management, you know, and project management software is, that's an area you don't want to touch or go into really. But there's nothing specific for designers and the design process outside of tools like Figma, except I stumbled across a service called Campsite, campsite.design, and they've, they're actually tackling this problem now. And it's essentially like a water cooler uh, where the whole team or the whole company can come in, the designers can upload their designs and the projects they're working on and everyone can give feedback and everyone can know where the uh, design team is at that, at that moment in time. Now, the interesting thing is there's no pricing on their website. And when the trial ends, you have to actually email them about the upgrade, which makes you think, you know, they're very early in the process. And the other thing is they've just taken on 2.7 million in uh, funding. Now, wow. I think this, at least to me, it's, it's indicative or it tells me a couple of things is that there is a problem there. As I said, I knew there was a problem there, but it's going to take a long time because the market isn't aware. And even if they are slightly aware, you know, they need to be educated on why is this software good for me or how is it going to help me and my team? And that 3 million is going to go a long way to giving them a runway to be able to do that. Uh, obviously, I'm not in the position to <laughs> have that 3 million uh, runway. But I think it's interesting because it does show that you can still do something, even if the market says no, but there is a problem. It's just, you need to be prepared to, for really, really slow growth and uptake. Yeah, um, I think that's a really good point because yeah, do they have a problem? And are they aware of the problem is like, they're two different things, right? So my husband's Brennan's company, Right Message had the same thing where, Bear in mind, they started Write Message, I don't know how many years ago now, but it was a good few years ago when things like personalization was so new and mm. um, this problem of being able to talk to people on your website in a more personalized way, it was a problem, but no one really knew that it was a problem. And so they realized very early on that they need to 
they they had this software, but they're like, actually, we need to educate people on why this is actually a problem first. So you, obviously that's what they've been doing. And, you know, Brennan's just finished uh, his book. So he's bringing out a book on um, personalization and he does a lot with his other company, Create and Sell, which is, you know, really educational, training people getting people to understand what the problem is and giving them solutions and right message is one piece of this puzzle. Um, but yeah, they had the exact same problem, but it is fixable. You know, they didn't have that much in, in funding or anything like that. It's just, you know, obviously Brennan had an audience anyway, which is completely invaluable. Um, so he could use that audience to educate, but it is, it goes back to the whole, if you don't have that investment, well, you need an audience. You either need money or people. Like money can buy people, I guess, um, by like giving you like you can you know pay people to create content and all that stuff. If you don't have that, you need to be doing it organically yourself, which is harder. It's longer. I would potentially argue more fulfilling. It's the way I prefer to do it. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of work. So I think that's a really good point. Um, so what's the plan now then you I think you've hinted that someone has said that you can you can still make it work and you know I imagine they are probably right but what are you going to do now yeah so a couple people said yeah you can still make it work but it's going to be that very long and 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 to me that very long process it it could well be two years or more or, or or never and I'm just not willing to put that in. I'm not willing to put that additional time in to this year that I've already put in just to see whether it might work, you know? It's it's too much time to be focused on one thing that, you know, when I could be focusing on, on others. Now, there is, I mean, I there are a couple of things I could potentially see if this problem is more acute for a different group of people outside of product managers, but I don't think necessarily it will be you know i could look at the the product design teams the design teams within the businesses but then as i said you know when i started thinking about this i took a step outside of what i am doing with uh, stakeholder feedback in the design process and the step outside of that is uh, project management and as i said project management is not something that i want to get into for obvious reasons but that whole self-defined category of okay well then design management is is an option, and like I said, you know, this, these guys at, at campsite are trying to do that, and they're trying to do that with with a lot of money. So I could potentially lean more towards that area, you know, because I do I do have a lot of code already written, and I, I do have a fully functioning. I mean, I don't even want to call it an MVP anymore. I mean, it's a fully functioning piece of software. So I would love to do something with that, you know, instead of just having to say, well, do you know what, sod it, it's in the bin. Um, so I could definitely I could definitely morph into that or pivot or however you want to call it, but again, that would take more money. Really, I mean, I couldn't just leave it as it is and then sell it as design management because it's not. You know, it's not. It doesn't have everything that everyone would need. So I need to some kind of take some kind of decision or because yeah, I it's tricky. Do do you want to just throw everything you've done over the last twelve months on the, on the bonfire, all the money you've invested? or try and turn it into something else. The only thing I do know is that I don't want to play the long, long, long game of making this work, you know, like banging my head against the wall and maybe it, you know, maybe it makes a few grand a month or whatever. And But that's not what I'm looking for. That's not what I'm looking for at all. I'm looking for a primary business. Yeah, I would say 
yes, you've invested a lot of money into it and you've got a full working product, but you don't want to fall into the whole sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, because track. I'm already there. You know, I don't want to sink anymore. So I, th I think there are a couple of things I could do. And to be honest, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've been sunk basically over the last month. My, my spirits have basically been sunk on the whole thing. If I can get myself out of that flunk, I think the sensible thing to do either now or at some point in the future is to go back to those customer development interviews, but not with, not with, uh, pro, uh product managers. I don't think necessarily, I do think maybe lean more towards the design teams. So everyone has said, even now the interviews I've done after the whole thing has failed said, yes, the design uh, feedback process is a problem. Okay, great. I don't want to make the same mistake. There's a problem. So what? And see if there is anything around that, that I can use from what I already have that is big enough to be solved that people would actually pay for that is actually useful enough and then maybe go from there. But I, I definitely won't do anything again without getting some kind of buying on a, on a, on a prototype. I'm not sinking any more money into, into code. It's the, the, the floor. One of the biggest drawbacks of being a non-tech founder, right? Is somebody else has to code. So that means you need to pay someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably what I'll do. Yeah. I think in your shoes, what I would do is I would do some kind of like Kickstarter thing. So once you've found a problem and you know, you, you know, you've been doing these interviews and stuff, I would be hesitant to sink more of my own money into it because I wouldn't want the same thing to happen again. And I would say if it's a, if it's an expensive enough problem, if it's a painful enough problem, people should invest to get the prototype done. And you could do, you could do it on Kickstarter, I'm pretty sure, and mm. get that money to do the MVP. Then people have backed it. And then, uh, you know, if enough people back it, then you, then you do it because, you know, I was thinking about this before, before, you know, starting recording, like what would, what would I recommend to people listening who are in the early stages and want to find product market fit as a solo non-tech founder. And I think the solo part is important. It, you know, we're bootstrappers. We don't have a ton of investment. I'm going to assume like you don't just have, you're not sitting on like a mound of savings. And if you're like me, you're pretty risk averse. Like I don't like to take giant risks. I like to be quite cautious. And I would say my thing is to get people paying you as soon as possible, even if it's $5, you know, even if it's like next to nothing. So, you know, if you have a, if you have an audience and you have a problem that you want to solve and you have this vision of some software that could solve it, is there anything that you can create in the meantime that you think people would pay for that's along the same lines, you know, like a cheat sheet or an ebook, you know, it doesn't have to be that specifically, but just something before doing the big software product, just to check, just to keep checking, like, because people will always tell you, they'll always say, yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, definitely. I, I would buy that or other people should buy that. But that's different from someone actually buying it. And you'll find that people kind of say that because they're, you know, they're trying to be nice. And maybe they think, actually, if I had unlimited money, I would buy that. But then when it comes down to it, they're making the decision. They're actually like, yeah, actually, no, I'm not going to just yet. Maybe later. Maybe I'll wait to see. But by doing something, by getting people to pay you as quickly as possible, you're just reaffirming that this is a problem that people really want solved and it's the best way to do it. So, yeah, I think that would be my recommendation if I were in your shoes or someone's listening shoes who was in this stage. And it is kind of what I did with Client Portal as well. So I, I'd already made it for myself. So 
you know, it, it was there. I kind of had the MVP. I was lucky enough to, I, I did pay a developer to put it together, but it was something I was doing for my own website anyway. So it was, you know, there, it was very simple. And then in order for me to sell client portal, I needed to make it into a WordPress plugin. And so I pre-sold it before it was a WordPress plugin. Um, and I got, you know, I said, if I make this much money, it's going to be, I'm going to pay someone to make it into a WordPress plugin. If not, I'll have to refund everyone, which I really don't want to do. Um, luckily, I didn't have to do that. And I, and, you know, it went from there and that worked really well for me. And I think, yeah, it would potentially prevent you from making the same mistakes again and you know all that kind of thing i've got, I've got a question for you the initial buyers for client portal were they typically freelancers or typically agencies freelancers i think yeah mostly developers because that was my list my list was developers because i was i was creating a design course um so they a lot, a lot of freelance developers yeah that's interesting and i thought you would say that because it was the same with Nusi as well. The initial customers were typically freelancers and then smaller agencies. And I'd purposely tried to build something that was going to be for businesses, in air quotes, as opposed to freelancers. And I think because, you know, we're told, you know, B2B to real B2B is is better and is, is more stable, et cetera, because, you know, they're not spending their own money and there's a budget, et cetera, et cetera. But I think everything that you were saying there, it made me think about this and made me think about when Client Portal came out and and Lucy. And, and so they both basically built their initial base off of freelancers. I think because maybe it's easier for freelancers to get initial buy-in on a product than it is for a business, you know, for reasons we've already mentioned before about buy-in, about, you know, who's actually going to pay for the product within the organization, about it's, it could be a longer drawn-out process, whether a freelance, whereas a freelancer, even though they are spending their own money, it's just like, yeah, this looks interesting. I'll just try it and stick the credit card in or, or the email in for the trial or whatever. So I think maybe I would also rethink that as well. Maybe I wouldn't try and go so far up the tree, <laughs> shall we say, uh, for this next one and just say, well, you know, when I built Nusi, I was writing for myself. I was writing for people like me. I was marketing to people like me. I was developing something for people like me. Um, so maybe there's a lot to be said for that. At least in my case, I I know not everyone wants to do that and they want to build a business maybe in a, even around a service they know nothing about, you know, because they can see there's money there. But I think it's definitely something I would think about again. So for example, if I did go down the route of a design feedback process tool platform or whatever, it would actually be easier for me because I could target once more the freelancers. I could write as, as I write instead of things that I don't know about, with, which is product management. And I think potentially it could be easier to get freelancers in, even if they don't hang around. I know that there's an interest and then I can expand past that. So I think that's, um, yeah, that's it's, it's, it's getting the decision makers in and it's the same when you are a freelancer, you know, you, one of the intake question, uh, intake questions I always had as a freelancer is, are you the decision maker in the business or do we need to invite someone else to the meeting? Because it's always, and you'll see it with any, any sales person who like you've come around and you want to get like curtains or blinds installed they want to make sure the husband and wife are both there because they don't want you to you know go back to the decision maker in the household they want the decision maker there and then so yeah, yeah. yeah targeting freelancers targeting decision makers small businesses is much easier for like people like us I think and especially if you were a freelancer you can speak more directly to them I think with the bigger companies it's difficult especially 
for me, and I don't know about your background, but I don't have much background in corporate business world. I don't really understand that world, to be honest. So I wouldn't even know how to get in there. And I feel like you can learn it. Like you can learn anything. You can you can talk to people, you can ask them. So how does how do these big businesses make their decisions? Presumably they have to buy stuff. So how does that work? Something you have to figure out. It's not something I would want to do though, because I just don't, I feel like all the, I feel like I would hate working in that kind of world. It would be too frustrating. It would be too slow. It, there'd be too much bureaucracy. It would just like mm. kill me inside. So I would personally, I would always target like smaller, like freelancers, founders, small businesses, smaller agencies, that kind of thing. But that again, that's not to say you can't do it, but it is something to consider. Like who would you, These this is the audience you are going to be serving like, do you want to serve this audience? And it's, you know, to go back to the right message example, you know, they were finding a lot of traction with these bigger corporate companies, but they were needing to do a lot of work in the sales department. So, you know, they were, they were needing to do these crazy amount of meetings just to get them to use this software. You know, it was meetings with different stakeholders multiple times a week, presentations to like their employees about this new software contracts and like all this just crap that was just they had to all these hoops that they had to jump through mm. just to get one paying client and they could charge quite a lot of money like when they've got them doing that sales process it, you can charge a lot of money and you can have an extremely profitable business i think nathan barry did a tweet the other day that was basically like all the success like the businesses that make the most money seem to always be agencies because you can just you know service-based businesses because you can just make so much money once you add manage to get through those hoops but it's not something i'd want to do and it's not something right message wanted to do at the time they were like actually we don't want to be doing this this isn't how we want to be spending our working life we want to go like lower touch and have people self-sign up on the website which means we need to educate, we need to lower the barrier to entry, we need to figure out our product so it appeals more to these kinds of people. And they ended up changing the product and how it worked to appeal more to this, even knowing that they probably would have made more money going after this other group, but it just wasn't what they wanted to mm -hmm. do. And I think that's an important thing to remember as well. Like, who do you want to target? What kind of people do you want to work with? Something we, I know we're going on a bit now, but... Um... Something that we've touched on in the past as well before the whole thing about product fatigue, you know, SaaS fatigue, uh, when it comes to paying for products. This is a, obviously a big problem as well because someone said to me, I actually, I was really scared, but I, I did it anyway. I put a post up in product management subreddit, uh, you know, putting anything in Reddit uh, can be, <laughs> can be hairy, <laughs> but um, it was, it was actually really good. And one of the guys said was, you're just creating another job for me. You know, you're giving me this new software. You're just creating another job for me. I don't want to do this job. So therefore, I'm going to have to pay someone else to do this job for me. So if you're, because it, the whole idea is that, you know, you tr we all want to make people's lives easier through the software that we create. That's that's the dream. That's the hope, right? That's why we do it. Apart from making money, of course, as well. But like, if you're adding another piece of software into a process where they already have, for example, Slack, they're copying, pasting images into, into, into Slack. Everyone in the company is in Slack and they're all leaving their feedback in Slack. Why are they going to want to move from that to something that I've built, which offers something com you know co comparable? You know, yeah. um, I'm just offering them another. I'm not going to get them out of Slack. I'm not going to get that big, freaking huge business out of Slack. They live in Slack, so yeah, it's it's just something else you need to be thinking of. Is like, 
are you actually adding another tool to their (laughs) to you know to their service or you know are they just so tied into all these other ones that you know forget about it it's it's too much yeah it's a great point i i would love to know how slack got into all the businesses ever because now slack slack is a part of like everyone's tool set it seems how did they do it like it's obviously possible because slack is still fairly new i suppose funding, relatively funding. speaking <laughs> well but also what do you do with the funding you know they must because there's a lot of companies that get funding that are not as big as slack uh, yeah I, i'm just curious as to how i'd love to i should probably research how they did that but yeah i think that's i think that's a good place to end it because i think it's a really interesting discussion and hopefully that's been somewhat helpful and um, i hope you don't mind me saying but you seem a lot lighter and even happier now, even though you've been saying this like terrible news, which, you know, you've sunk lots of money into this product and you're thinking it's just not working. You're going to have to reevaluate. But I even noticed from this whole call, you actually seem, it seems like a weight's been lifted from you anyway. Uh, Just maybe having made that decision and being like, okay, I tried something and it hasn't worked the way I wanted to. So hopefully you're not feeling too disheartened and, you know, yeah, I was, <laughs> and, you know, and I basically haven't done anything on it for the last month because I was just, you know, what's the point or what can I do? Or, you know, I can't be bothered anymore. But like I said, speaking to these few people, you know, and this whole idea of maybe going back down the design client road again, I think it makes it a little bit easier at least to dig into. And I think as well, just literally just us two talking here on here on this, on this, uh, this episode has been a bit more like a mastermind for me, you know, than our usual um, so I think it's been good as well to talk through in that respect because I had already reflected on the mistakes that I'd made and looking back, they were pretty easy to make and they're horrible mistakes to have to admit to as well, because they feel like complete noob mistakes, you know, like one way or another I have to move forward. So, yeah, well, yeah. I appreciate you sharing cause I know it, I, I am, it is hard and I appreciate you being so candid and open with, you know, everything. And I'm sure people have found this so useful. So yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, so cool. I think we can end it about there. So if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to hear when new episodes are released, you can subscribe in your podcast app of choice. Um, and if you really enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. It's really helpful, especially to podcasts like ours that are just starting out. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.